After about a month-long hiatus, we are back. It's Doc Jock here on the Fantasy Sports Network alongside Dr. Mitchell Roslin. I am Greg Sussman. Doc, how are you? Happy New Year. What's going on? It's great to be back in 2019, and it seems like um, a ton of things have happened sure. since, we've been, since we've been gone. Kelly Clarkson style. Yeah. The half the, I guess, one-third of the NFL has new coaches or yeah. deemed new coaches. Um, we're down to the final four in football. The hot stove has been cold. Tyler Murray will be playing quarterback for somebody in the NFL next year, I think. Um, and LeBron James is taking a vacation, and the NBA has more parity. Um, what else have I missed? I think you about covers it, and I think that's what we're going to talk about over the next hour or so with you, Doc. And I want to start uh, with the big news, I'd say, of the day, and that is Kyler Murray officially declaring for the NFL draft. Back a month ago, we were having this discussion how the A's, he was going to play for the A's, and Scott Boris kept repeating it over and over and over. He's going to play baseball. He's going to play baseball. He's going to play baseball. Until he wasn't going to play baseball anymore. He declared for the NFL draft a little while ago, and you were right on this, saying... It's just really hard going from the star quarterback at Oklahoma, winning the Heisman Trophy, and going to ride a, ride a bus in Shreveport. It's just not exactly encouraging or entertaining when you can think about ah, the high-style life of the NFL as a starting quarterback. Now, the uh, draft nits believe that Kyler Murray is a guy that is more of a second or third-round pick probably than a first-round pick, but quarterbacks, you know, they shoot up draft boards. Ultimately, Doc, what do you think happens with Kyler Murray? Kyler Murray is playing in the NFL next year. As to me, it's an absolute no-brainer. You already know his one liability. He ain't getting taller. It's too late for growth hormone. So you already know his one liability. And I said this coming in that Alabama was a litmus test. Their players are pretty much as close as you're going to get as a rat model for the NFL, although... Maybe it's Clemson. That's another thing we forgot to talk about. Um, and he clearly was able to play at that level. And we're now seeing a change in the NFL. And it, it's so funny when you listen to some of the more classic sportscasters who are more in my age, and you see the kind of generational they want to go back to old style football and they're all really really happy today because running the ball was really the theme of the weekend you know really running the ball down you know strong east coast type of man on man running the ball you know you made a great point last year about Andy Reid who we seem to learn from that he had the lead against Tennessee and then forgot to run the football and all of them had significant balance. You know, the Rams McVeigh actually really showed something. He he actually just ran the ball right down the Dallas Dallas's throat. You know, basically New England ran the ball against the you know the, the Belichick and crew and Josh McDaniels studied them using the micro package that they used against the Cleveland with um, against Lamar Jackson and just you know just steamrolled them. Um, that all being said, and you know, obviously since the classic Los Angeles Kansas City, you know, fifty-one forty-eight football game, defense has become more prominent in the NFL. 
That all being said, when you look at the coaching hires and you look at where this league is going, there's a hundred yards to defend and you know fifty. 50 yards of, of, of width, and the current NFL is going to spread that out and use speed as much as possible, especially with the rule changes, and Kyler Murray works in that type of game. It all comes back to Kyler Murray there in today's new NFL. Um, and we have a lot. We do have a lot to talk about today, as you mentioned, the College Football National Championship and all some of these uh, head coaching hires. But we start with Murray because it makes an interesting case. Is there a number that the A's can give him to make him play baseball? Well, number one, I don't, I don't think as good a talent evaluator as Billy Bean has been, Billy Bean's basis is value. And unless you're going to argue that Kyler Murray should have been the first pick in the draft by leaps end, like he's Bryce Harper. Okay. okay? Right. Yep. Mm-hmm. The predictive value of the ninth player picked in the baseball draft has at best an 8% chance of being a top-notch major leaguer. So I think that there's a limit to what they're going to pay unless they are so intrigued, which, based on what, does Oakland get that? Because Oakland is all about, and this is kind of interesting, you look at Baker Mayfield, okay, and you look at some of the other picks. Baker Mayfield was probably not our lab chemistry prototype for sure. an NFL quarterback. By the way, Trevor Lawrence is, but that's, a different, <laughs> that, 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 that's an entirely different point. There you go. But Baker Mayfield was not. But the eye test of every game he played in college was positive. And I think we're getting to a point where the I'm trying eye to look, test, by the way, I'm trying to look at ninth overall picks in MLB drafts and seeing. Yeah, the eye test works. Oakland has always been about the eye test, this classic Scott Haddonfield story. Haddenberg. Okay. Haddenberg. Haddenberg. Mm-hmm. Okay, show me the guy who gets on base. Show me the guy who gets a hit. Even, yep. if, even if he looks like an overweight morph, okay, we care about production. We don't care about physique and talent. This would be a complete throwback because this is somebody who – we looked up his numbers, hit 296 in Oklahoma and 250 at-bats with 10 home runs, which doesn't necessarily translate to less than you know, three years of experience. And the predictive value, even if you go and you look at who's the best-ranked prospect in the major leagues, even that predictive value is less than 50%. So I can't see Oakland coming to a number that would do that. And I think that this is, you know, the same thing that is happening to some extent with Boros and Bryce Harper. I mean, Boros is a great market maker, but now instead of negotiating against functional idiots, he's negotiating against people that have great business backgrounds that understand their business better than the people in the past. Now, he's o- he only has needed one fool in the past to do that, but it seems to be harder to find that fool which is why I think Machado and Hopper are still out there. I've now gone back all the way to four guys here. I've gone back to basically the turn of the millennium to all the ninth overall picks. And I guess you've heard of three of them. Much more, actually. Okay. In fairness. 
No, I skipped a whole lot. I wrote down. I just wrote down the six that have made their mark more so than some of these others. Um, like guys like Austin Meadows right now is the ninth overall pick in the draft, and Austin Meadows hasn't been all that successful in the major leagues. The most successful out of these guys, the ninth overall since 2000, so the last 19 years, Javier Baez was the ninth overall pick for the Chicago okay. Cubs. Fair enough. Okay. Quality infielder. Yeah, absolutely. Quality infielder. Yeah, I believe he was traded from Texas, if I'm right about that. I think you're right, but hang on. I will, I will find that out. Give me one moment. He was, in, he was drafted in 2012, I believe, is Javier Baez, if I'm right now. 2011, then? 2011 by the Chicago Cubs. Yeah. Chicago Cubs, okay. Chicago Cubs, okay. Um, his teammate, Ian Happ, was also the ninth overall pick. Andrew Heaney, pitcher for the Angels, ninth overall pick. Jeff Francis back in the day. John Danks back in the day. And one that uh, you'd love to uh, know and love. Mike Pelfrey, the former ninth overall pick. So how many of them are superstars? Zero. Javier Baez is close to a superstar, I think. Okay. Okay. So that's one Mm -hmm. out of... Now, let's forget about 19, because that's not fair, because baseball players take take time to Same with 18 and same with 17. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's go one out of 15. And a superstar. Yeah. Okay. That's a 6%, roughly 6% chance. Right. So how much is Oakland going to pay for that when they do the probability? Fair point. Once you get past the feeling that I have to win a negotiation. I'm in this to win it. I believe in my thing. Once you take a step back and you look at it from a business standpoint, Mm -hmm. okay, there's much more predictive value in his football career than his baseball career. In fact, if I could get Vegas odds that he's an absolute bust in baseball, I would say that the probability of him being a bust is greater than him being a superstar. Sure. Now, again, because he's going to be so high profile, he's going to to get major... Listen, we still talk about Tebow coming up for the Mets, okay? So he's going to get, you know, the greatest look and the greatest advantage, but the ability to hit major league pitching is probably the least predictive thing that we have from a probability standpoint. If he was a pitcher, I think that it would be easier to convert that in terms of, and then you get into the risk of injury. But I think it'd be easier. Center fielder, yes, we know he can run. Yep. Okay? Whether he'll be able to hit an off-speed major league pitcher remains to be seen. And there is nothing other than his bat speed, which I'm sure he has. You know, I'm sure he has all the intangibles. But so do so many people that never make it. It's interesting because one fact that you didn't bring up when discussing about what he should do or will do is long-term health. In the NFL, your careers are shorter. They can be ended by one big hit at any moment. Tom Brady's 43. Tom Brady is 43 years old. Okay. There's a lot of guys that we don't know. Rivers, 37. Okay. You know, again, if he was a running back, if he was a linebacker, let's let's look at... you know, again, forget what everyone else says, you know, and that's why we're on the Fantasy Sports Network because we understand probability and statistics. If you roll a dice, you know, you don't root for it. You know what the probability of, of what role is going to come up. You know, how many times you're going to out of 36, you're going to sure. get seven. Look at the probability, okay? Let's look at the, you know, let's look at quarterback longevity, okay? 
and you see, you know, the, the people who are picked high. The biggest risk for a quarterback is that somebody pulls the plug on him. It's not been health. I mean, maybe you're going to say that Alex Smith has had a career-ending injury. Okay, maybe you're going to say Tony Romo, but he played numerous, numerous years and had a great opportunity to go into the booth. But look, look, look around the, the, the league. I mean, you know, you have Brady, you have Drew Brees. Who, who's playing? They, they, they've been in this game forever. I know Drew Brees came back from a tight, tough shoulder injury. Right. But Philip Rivers, you had three quarterbacks that were more than 35 years old. Sure. Name me three baseball players that were key this year that were more than 35 years old that were in the Final Four. Let's see here. So, the final, so who the final, who got to think of the final, but, final, but final, the final Which is a right. bad knock on baseball. You got to right. go back. It's too hard, say, right? Okay, the Dodgers beat Milwaukee. Dodgers beat the Brewers, right? Okay, the Dodgers beat the Brewers. And the Red Sox beat the Astros. Astros, right? It was yeah, the Astros. So, who yeah, was yeah. a key player on those guys that was more than 35? Justin Verlander. Is he? I, I'm not sure that he's more than 35. Really? He feels like he is. No, he came up very young, and when they traded for him, I think Ver, if I had to guess, Verlander's 33, 34. 35 years old. On the dot. Okay. 35 years old. He'll be 36 next month. Okay. That counts. Okay, we'll give him to you. We'll give it to him. All right, cool. Okay. So Justin Verlander immediately comes to mind. For the Red Sox, the Dodgers, Clayton Kershaw's not. Clayton Kershaw's 30. Point proven. Okay, so. Well, I don't know how old Matt Kemp is, but he's not 35. He could, you know, Matt Kemp has been around for a while. I don't think he's 35, though. He is 34. Okay. He's been around for a while. Now, okay. it, I mean, it, yes, are, certainly. You can play the quarterback position for a very long, long time. time. Absolutely. I mean, you know, so, so, so let's face it. He's not playing. I mean, this is the, the Barkley versus Donald argument in a different point. And, and it, 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 he's, he's playing quarterback. Now, just because he's small, Russell Wilson hasn't missed a game. Carson Wentz, who's the size of a brick, you know what, has missed games, okay? You know, a lot of missing and winning in the NFL. Look at Darren Sproles out there, yep. okay, as a speedback. A lot of it is there's a skill about not getting hit. Robert Griffin just got hit yep. all the time. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, the game may be coming back to Robert Griffin, because I remember when the Redskins cut him, they said, we don't want to run a Mickey Mouse offense now. (laughs) Maybe the game's coming back to him, but that's a different story altogether. But his biggest problem was he couldn't slide. He ran upright, and he got drilled, as opposed to Russell Wilson, who's used his baseball skills. I've never seen Russell Wilson get hit, really. I knew you were going to say that. I knew it was going to Russell Wilson. Yeah, I never seen saw Russell Wilson. I never saw Fran Talkington actually get hit hard. Okay, to be perfectly honest, Joe Namath, who was the prototype quarterback with the fiftieth thing in the Super Bowl, had the size and and everything. Fran Talkington was the undersized quarterback. Fran Talkington never got hit. Never got hit. It is a skill staying healthy, but there are you can make the case there's obviously a lot of NFL players that aren't successful. But you look at Major League Baseball. It's the same thing almost to the nth degree. We went over the ninth round, the number nine overall picks. Javier Baez being a superstar, no one's arguing that. There's a heck of a lot more number nine players uh, that weren't. You're going to be taken to the NFL as a quarterback, expected to play quarterback. And I'll even make the challenge, and I have no idea off the top of my head. Okay. I don't think the numbers are that different if you go to the number five pick. So let's say he was the number five pick because 
he got downrighted because people weren't sure that he was going to play baseball. Right. So let's go to the number five. All pick. right. So number got. five, starting in 2015, Kyle Tucker still hasn't made his mark. Okay. Uh, Nick Gordon. Okay. Nothing. Clint Frazier, the Indians. Nothing. Nothing. Except the Yankees build him up, but yeah, that's besides yeah. that. Uh, nothing, though. Drew Pomeranz. Nothing. Oh, God, this is bad, Doc. Buster Posey, 2008. He's a superstar. Yes. Buster Posey is a superstar in 08. Matt Wieters in 07. Okay. Brandon Morrow. Ryan Braun. All right, so number five is pretty good. Slip it on here. There's some names that you just never, like, there's a so lot have, of names you never So you have of. two out of 15. Mark Teixeira, that one works. Yeah. And then last one in 2000, nothing. In 1999, go back 10 years, nothing. That's it. So you're talking about a 20% chance. Yeah. You agree with that? Yeah. And that's the number five pick of the draft. Yes. I mean, you can probably do this for the number one overall pick, no? Uh, you probably could. I think that the number one picks have now been a little bit tainted because they're taking college pitchers, so it's getting closer to the other sports. Right. I mean, I think I think it's getting, you, you know, a little closer to to the not not quite the same degree, but I think that there's been a tendency with the number one picks, unless there's a high school player that's just astronomical, that's unbelievable. But you know, let, let let's let's face it, the best player on the Mets is Jacob Degrom. He was like, you know, the end of the draft from Stetson. You know that. He played shortstop at Stetson. Baseball is a very unpredictable type thing. And athleticism and baseball don't always translate. Or we went to what's ironic is that Moneyball was written about the Oakland A's, right. where they were the antithesis of the five tool sure. player. And Murray is potentially a five tool player, but we really don't know his baseball resume. We have no idea. It's not nearly as out there as the NFL is, obviously. Yeah, so, so it's, it's remarkable that it would be very surprising that the Oakland A's would get into a bidding contest unless they need to do, like, the follow-up for Moneyball. Now that everybody's following us, we have to kind of, like, go back in a different direction. <laughs> now, let me, let me stick with baseball here for a moment. And, and you mentioned Brody Van Wagenen, and I want to get to not necessarily what he's doing, the Mets are doing, but Manny Machado and Bryce Harper, who... Listen, it's January 14th, and they remain unsigned. I understand we're used to this with Scott Boris waiting until deep into the winter to sign his client, but the market has seemingly stalled with both superstars on the market here, um, still on the market in the middle of January. The Yankees no longer being the Yankees where they're just going to go out and give guys 10, you know, 10 years and a bajillion dollars, and no team wants to be that team. And I've read a lot of articles here over the past couple of uh, weeks saying here, every team can afford to do it. Every team gets enough money to do it. They choose not to. And that's bothered a lot of people. And the, and the MLBPA has to do better. And I don't think re-signing Tony Clark as the director is the best way to accomplish that. But we have a major problem. When the Yankees are signing, you know, DJ LeMahieu, who's fine, and, and Troy Tulowitzki, who's fine, and not going out and signing a Manny Machado. I understand you have superstars under contract, but when you have a guy like D.D. Gregorius is hurt, this historically speaking, is prime Yankee territory. And here we are with just the Phillies and the White Sox supposedly in on him, but clearly not offering him near the amount he wants because he still remains out there with Machado. Bryce Harper, you're hearing even less. What's going on in Major League Baseball, Doug? Well, I think, first of all, the, the fact is 
when you take emotion out of it, most of these very, very long-term contracts haven't worked. Okay. Okay, so you take emotion out of it. Then you take the fact that if you're going to do so, you want it to be a young player. Both of those reach that. But you want there to be less question. I wouldn't touch Manny Manchado for the 10 The Dodgers can't get rid of him fast enough. After well, there he, there he did. So. Okay, they, they, you know, so you, you start with that. You take somebody who made the statement that I'm not paid to hustle and just, just, just something like, like, like that. And when you watched the World Series, and I know he hit the top of the wall once, and that was one of the plays that he didn't hustle on. Did you, were you really, really concerned if the game was on the line in an extra innings that Manny Machado was up? Did you really think that the good pitcher couldn't get him out? This is exactly what you said a month ago, too, William Machado. Exactly. So I, I think that when you come down to it, and then from the Yankees' standpoint, I think that the Yankees' biggest problem was not ha- was was having boomer bus players. I, I I really thought you know, and it's funny his replacement in Colorado's Daniel Murphy, mm-hmm. DJ uh, DJ's replacement. I, I I really thought that Daniel would have been a perfect Murphy yep. would have been a perfect player for the Yankees. And DJ is a similar player. He led the league in hitting, sure. puts the bat on the ball. The Yankees need rally extenders, not rally killers. And Machado is another. Rally killer in my standpoint. I thought Bryce Harper, lefty power to balance their lineup, would be better if they could move Giancarlo Stanton to Bryce Harper, but obviously that's not doable, and they've shown no interest in doing that. I'm surprised that Bryce Harper doesn't have a bigger market. Machado, I completely understand. Bryce Harper... A, he is a draw. Two, he's a clean-cut kid. I know that some people find him grating, but he's a clean-cut kid. You know, no drinking, no smoking, you know, takes really, really, really good care of himself. Young age has been the man in Washington with a lot of pressure on him um, and has had some great years and, you know, like last year, so, somewhat in-between year. But he's 26 years old, and, and you know what? When he comes up, he invokes fear. I think that yeah. he, he really does. I, 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 think, agree. I think he's in a different caliber of player. I, I'm surprised there's not more of a, a, a market for him. And I wonder if Boris's ego is interfering with his representation of players. I think that's a fair point, that the ego gets to it, that... Scott Boris is frustrating to many, many teams. I think it's a completely reasonable and fair point. I wouldn't hire him for my kid. Really? Absolutely not. I think it's more about him than his player. I've thought a lot about that question, actually. If I would hire Scott Boris to be my agent or my kid's agent. And you know that he's going to get your child the most money. Do we know that? I think so. I, 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 think that, I think that we only hear about his victors when he's had well, you leverage. Well, know, you know every contract. So it's well, always, yeah, well, when he's had leverage. I, I, I don't know if he, you know, it's like the mock. When you have the most talent, of course you're going to get the highest contract. But has he served all of his clients well? 
or have his lesser clients suffered for his Bryce Harper's, right. Chris Max Scherzer's. So I think that there are obvious mistakes. Stephen Drew and Kendry Morales come to me as mistakes where he held them out almost till June. And they had bad seasons. And their careers have never been the same. Their careers have never been the same, and they cost their teams money. Now, when Morales was a free agent the next time, and you saw this with Stephen Drew as well, they signed within the first month. Instantly. Stay with Morris. But they signed instantly because they don't want to go through the nonsense again. So you have to be willing to go. If you are a Scott Boris client, you have to be willing to follow his directive and listen to him. And it worked out for Max Scherzer, obviously. It's a prime example. The primest of prime examples. Doesn't work out for everybody. I don't want to say it does. But I do feel like more often than not, and maybe you're right, maybe I'm just pointing out his wins. There are a lot of things that go into, you know, like the, you know, the classic, you know, people who can't play into New York, which I don't always buy. But I do believe that if you're in the right environment with the right people, with the right reinforcement, Boris making headlines is not everything. And I think that, you know, Boris is about Boris. And I think that agents should sit in the background and represent their clients. They shouldn't be stars. Okay. And I think, and I hear that. I hear that. That's okay. I'm all right with that. Um, you mentioned before we leave the baseball topic, we get in the NFL playoffs, stuff like that. Well, I, why don't you think there's a, a... Why do I think? I think that owners... Not that they haven't always been greedy, because they're always about making money. That's how they're all so rich to begin with. But I think it's been proven that you don't need to have the highest payroll to win. Now, the Red Sox did last year have the highest payroll, and they did win. So I think that a guy like Hal Steinbrenner believes that, hey, I don't need a $250, $300 million payroll to win. What we have right now at under $200 million, it's pretty good. And I'm okay with that. I'm, make, I'm making more money. The big stat. Well, I think there's something else going on with the Yankees. Well, the big is stat that, is that the Yankees, for the first time last year, well, I shouldn't say for the first time, the Yankees were more popular last year mm-hmm. than any year before because there was a pride in watching the young players play rather than, you know, ex- exceeding expectations is always more attractive than not meeting expectations. So I agree with that. People love watching young players develop. They love feeling part of a homegrown team. I agree. But they also like winning. That will always, to me, supersede anything else. With the Yankees, with House Time Runner, I think what bothers a lot of Yankee fans is this statistic. Like They've been now trained over the past couple of years saying, well, they don't have the money to do this. Well, they got to send the luxury tax. They've now been trained. Where when the it leaks out that they don't want to go over... A certain number, that first luxury tax threshold, and now the second one after they signed Zach Britton, they've been trained with, all right, that makes sense. That's okay. When you're the Yankees and you have the revenue that they do, and as you said, more popular than ever before, theoretically, last season, that means the revenue's gone up, right? Of course. The Yankees are 28th in baseball in putting their revenue back into the team. 28th in baseball. How is that acceptable? I don't think it is. No, but, you know, again, I think that, I think that, again, they, I think they want to get underneath this luxury tax so they pay a lower tax to go for it. 
I think that if there was a player, for example, if Jacob DeGrom was on the market, I think the Yankees would go out and get him at all costs. Or somebody like that. But a guy but today, what's different today than it was yesterday is that players like Jacob DeGrom don't get to the market. And that's what makes Manny Machado and Bryce Harper so different. They're 26-year-old guys in their superstars, which is what they are. I know you, you, know, you think Harper's better than Machado. That's fine. Superstars in their prime. If you give them a 10-year contract, they're still only 36 years old, which is what Robinson Cano is right now with five more years left on his deal. So this doesn't happen anymore, and it's happened. And even pitchers like Max Scherzer and CeCe Sabathia actually are rare cases of giving a 7 8 year deal to pitchers and then they do not break down. They last the entirety of that contract. That is rare. With hitters, especially during their prime years from 26 to 36, they're going to last. That's what makes this one so infuriating, I think, Doc, in that if not now, when? Like I said, I don't think for a lot of reasons that people like Machado. I I mean, or or I shouldn't say, obviously there are people that do. But I, I just think that people are concerned with him. I don't understand the Bryce Harper. I think if I was the Mets, if I could go five and two hundred, I would do something like that. Got it. I really would take if there was one player that I would take a chance at, and the market came to him. Mm-hmm. That's what I, I, I. That's what I would do. All right, let's move on from Major League Baseball, and I want to get into college football before we get in the NFL. Clemson Tigers, your national champions, really thrashing Alabama in the national championship game. Were you uh, surprised? I was. I was surprised because Nick Saban doesn't get thrashed. He hasn't been thrashed like that since he coached the Miami Dolphins, and that's a fact. That's not even a, like a hyperbole. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I, I was surprised, too. I mean, I thought that Clemson had great athletes and can play with them, but I didn't think that Clemson that. would not, you know, dominate the line of scrimmage even when I was watching that game okay I kept on expecting because Alabama moved the ball You're so trained for it yeah. I, I you know it, it, honestly I wanted to see what the money line was when you know they were moving at the beginning of the second half I thought that they'd score they'd score a touchdown and what was even really surprising was the anemic fake that that uh, it was it was just an awfully conceived fake, and you, you know we saw Sean Payton fake real well. Yes, sir. And yeah. and you know absolutely, and and I don't think I'm just saying this because one worked and one didn't. But number one, you can't have a a kicker that can't kick and fake, because then everybody expects it. Right. Okay. If you have a kicker who can kick, sure, you have a much better chance of, of course the, of, of the fake being successful. No doubt about it. Uh, and. The day after the game, I promise you, I texted Doc. I'm like, I think Clemson may have made the right decision with Trevor Lawrence, who seems built out of a quarterback-making machine. Athletic Peyton Manning. And that's what you tell. And that was your response to that text. Athletic Peyton Manning. Uh, uh, you know, and it, 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 it's funny. The quarterback's coming out. Obviously, everybody knows I would take Kyler Murray. I, I, first of all, I think, you know, I think about – if I, the way I evaluate things, if I'm a defensive coordinator, who don't I want to play against? And, you, you know, even though we, we're, this is a national show, obviously we're based in New York, so I've followed the Giants my whole life. Yep. And I've often wondered what's going to happen first. Will the Giants have cheerleaders or a quarterback that can run? 
Coughing, laughing so hard. Okay, you know. Yeah. I, I mean, you know, I don't know what's going to happen first, but it seems like no one has ever told the Giants that your yeah, actual quarterback. And then, if they can run, they actually can make a broken play, and 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 you know, they can they can do things, and you can call plays. I remember, you know, being introduced to Randall Cunningham, and it it's so interesting when you actually look at the 1980s, the Parcel era, to go back. Because what's really very interesting is the Redskins couldn't beat the Giants. If the Giants didn't exist, Joe Gibbs would have been the greatest coach of all time. Sure. Okay? Mm-hmm. But the Giants could beat the Giants couldn't beat the Eagles. The Giants couldn't beat the Buddy Ryan coach teams. They, couldn't, they got clobbered by the 85 Bears, and they had a losing record against the Randall Cunningham Eagles. And I was always saying, like, why can't we get a guy that can run? That was 25, 30 years ago. <laughs> it's, I, I still feel the same way when you watch a Patrick Mahomes, et cetera, that if you have to leave a spy, that's one less person that can play. If you play man-to-man defense against a running quarterback and you have to, you just throw everybody to one side of the field and you run the Colin Kaepernick play against the Green Bay Packers. And running and throwing is the future. Brady's wonderful. Breeze is wonderful. This is the last generation of that. You're probably right. You're probably right in how it has changed so immensely over the years. Even Trevor Lawrence runs. He's athletic Peyton Manning. He runs. When we were talking about this, and you mentioned Kyler Murray, you mentioned Trevor Lawrence, I brought up Dwayne Haskins to you. What was your response to that? Byron Leftwich. Why do you say that? Because that's what he reminds me of. Straight up and throw they the ball, do. big, big, throw the ball, accurate, throw it through, you know, throw it through. Or if you want somebody else so that it, it, it doesn't seem like you're taking an African-American quarterback and comparing it to an African-American quarterback, Drew Bledsoe, okay, who had some wonderful years. He's got a very good release. He's very accurate with the football He's got awful footwork. He is not going to avoid the rush any better than Eli Manning or somebody like that at the, at the present time. He's going to be able to make all of the throws, but not where I think the NFL is going. It's certainly not where the NFL is going. You need to be able to move. Can Dwayne Haskins move enough? I think that's the main question draft nits really should ask themselves. It goes to Haskins. What does move enough mean to you? Does move enough mean yeah. like throw the bootleg, like Eli can throw the bootleg, or move enough means that when it's third and ten, they can get eleven? Does move enough mean move enough to me means Dak Prescott at the minimum? I don't know if I say Dak Prescott at the minimum. Move enough means to me You need to be more mobile than Philip Rivers. You need to be more mobile than Eli Manning. You need to be more mobile than Tom Brady and Drew Brees. He's like, is Andrew Luck too much to ask for? Sam Darnold. It's a great one, Frank. Sam Darnold. Be as mobile as Sam Darnold. It's perfect. I, I think that you need, I think that Sam Darnold, very functional, okay? Definitely can move. But I think that you know the truth, and you may be saying I'm asking for too much. I think you want to see Lamar Jacksons who are a little bit more accurate with the football. Now, obviously, the first three quarters 
of the San Diego game. Los Angeles. The, the Los Angeles game. Mm-hmm. We're absolutely the worst quarterbacking that we've ever seen in the NFL. The fourth quarter was wonderful, okay? But the first three quarters of it, I think that you're looking – I think that – here's where I'd say this, this sport is going, okay? The sport – and this is why I think Quentin Williams is such a valuable mm-hmm. player, mm-hmm. okay? I think that the run-pass option, the vulnerable place in the field is the middle. You don't get drops. You're running the quick slants, and they're actually pretty easy passes to throw if you have a running quarterback. The way you stop that is by splitting the gaps and getting up the middle pressure because it takes time Certainly. to do. Right. It makes Aaron so where, Don- that's why Aaron Donald's so good. So Lawrence Taylor was our prototypical edge rusher. Now I think you're going to a different era, and along those lines, I think you're going to see less 3-4 defenses with the RPOs and more 4-3s because you need your tackles to split the gaps and get internal penetration as opposed to have the big Vince Wolfolk that takes three blockers up, freeing the linebackers to stop. Now you want gap penetration, I think, is the key thing. But these throws are getting easier, so I'd rather give something up on the classic thrower that's really, really accurate and have the guy that can take it to the house. That's what I really, really would like sure. in, 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 in my quarterback. Speaking of your quarterbacks, what about the head coaches? As you mentioned, almost a third of the NFL changed head coaches here uh, this offseason. Which change uh, surprised you the most? The trend doesn't surprise me at all, right? Everybody's trying to find the next Sean McVay. I get that. Which one surprised you the most? Well, you know, I, I, I look at it from a different standpoint. I actually thought certain other people were going to lose their job. And number one, okay. I thought it was, I, I think that if it had been a different year, I think the Steelers might have thought about replacing Tomlin. I, well, think, I, think, that, I think Tomlin's firmly on the hot seat right now. I, firmly. I think that what happened is, um, and, and, and again, I don't think there was any you know, racial motivation. It seemed like every single African-American coach was getting fired. I don't, know, I don't, I don't and, think so. Well, you just look at the numbers. There were eight, and you're now down to two. But true, sure. But and maybe, but just you, you would so have I, left I, with I, only Anthony Lynn. And I think with Rooney being the Rooney r- rule, right. I thought I think that that's that's one reason. I also thought Dan Quinn from from Atlanta. Atlanta. I mean, you know, when you fire both coordinators and you keep your coach, I mean, that's you know, kind of. I understand. I, I, and you fired your special teams coordinator as well. Now, Brian Flores, who's African-American, is expected to be the next Dolphins coach, so there's another African-American. But to me, I don't believe any of these guys were fired because they're African-American. No, I don't believe they're so. They're terrible either, coaches. I, Hugh Jackson won one game. I, right? I mean, I, I think that the, all of these fires were justified, right. possibly with the exception of Steve Wilkes. One year okay. and done. Okay. W- one, one year and done. Right. When you have, honestly, the worst personnel right. in the entire okay. league. And you're bringing in Cliff Kingsbury, who who had a losing record at Texas Tech, and and, and you keep you know you know that I'm, I'm okay with that, but like someone like Vance Joseph, oh, Todd Todd Bowles, Vance Joseph, yeah. none of those guys performed. Yeah. I Marvin Lewis has got 17 years worth of trying. Exactly. You know, I, I I don't think there's any issue with it. I just think that it, it put pressure on Rooney. You know, as that was going on, I I, I really I really actually do. 
All right. So moving on then from the head coaches, um, here's the question though. What's 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 one surprised you the most? Probably probably Adam Gates, but the, Adam Gates, one more time. Mr. I all about the eyes today. Gaze is gaze. Yeah, probably, but you know, you you know, because he they were in the picture, they kind of performed as you were going to do. But you know what I think is really interesting is how everybody in New York has been against the Adam Gaze hire, and I have yeah. no idea. But what I will say is what I find remarkable is that any coaching hire other than you know, taking somebody else's at Riley. There's a reason they're going to be on the open market, meaning that they've been fired from another job or they haven't been proved and tested or they've coached at a college level and haven't done it at a professional level. Mm -hmm. uh, the fact that he was at Miami and wasn't unbelievably successful, I mean, there were, and somewhat had a reputation of being a little bit Honorary, I guess is the right word, or or very set in his ways. Well, there's another coach in the AFC East that was that had that sure. reputation, sure. named Belichick. And I and I'm not comparing them to two. I'm just saying that predicting who's going to be a very very good head coach is really really tough. very very difficult. Really tough. So if you ask Giant fans who's the best coach that they remember for the New York Giants, also Bill Parcells. Okay. Bill Parcells was going to be fired after the first year. And you know who the Giants were going to hire? Yeah. Howard Schnellenberger really? from the University of Miami. And did you know what happened? Who, who was Parcells' agent? Robert Fraley. Oh, I was going to say Scott Boris. Huh? No, it <laughs> would have been a good guess. And who was Robert Fraley's agent? Who was Howard Schnellenberger's agent? Same guy. Same guy. Yeah. So... You know, basically, Fraley kind of manipulated that, and Parcells goes on to become a Hall of Fame coach. The Giants really thought that every single person in the Giants organization wanted to fire Parcells after the first year. It worked out all right. Worked out pretty well for them, right? Before we wrap up, Doc, I, I have to ask you, because we're both big college basketball fans, Maryland Terrapins, number 19 in the country. Big Ten is good. Big Ten's very good. Big Ten is very good. I mean, I'm very happy that my Iowa, Iowa Hawkeyes, Hawkeyes. Are, are now, I guess, Four and three or three and three in the league. I, I, they beat Ohio State. They beat Northwestern. They beat Nebraska. So I think they're three and three after they lost their first three in the league. Um, you know, again, all of those teams can beat all of the other teams. And winning on the road Iowa's, there. Iowa has three losses all year. They're not three and three in the league. They're three and three in the league. They're undefeated out of the oh, league. Oh, I'm sorry. Undefeated out of the league. Right. Okay. Okay. They're three and three in the league. They're undefeated out of the league. Undefeated out of the league. Number twenty three in the country. They beat they beat Oregon. They beat UConn. They beat Pittsburgh. Um, outside the league and then inside the league, they beat Ohio State. They beat also beat Ohio uh, Iowa State. Yes, they did. Now they did play Iowa State with Iowa State's best player hurt. It doesn't matter at the end of the season when they're looking at the when they're looking at the ranking when they're looking at resumes and and people now say that the new net system or I forgot the abbreviation for it that replaced the RPI oh it's is, stupid it is is, net, is, yeah. is is now now working so I think we have to finish by going back to the NFL and, okay, and, sure. and doing our doing our uh, playoff picks our playoff picks and how you see you know the the two games the NFC. West, the Rams going into New Orleans, going into the Dome, going um, going into a place that's difficult to play. 
Additionally, what's absolutely amazing, absolutely amazing, you know, it's so interesting, like the coincidences in history, for example, that when Kennedy and Lincoln were assassinated, they were right. both replaced by a president named Johnson. Sure. But the New Orleans Saints, basically, when they won their Super Bowl, lost to three teams during the regular season. Atlanta, Tampa Bay, and Dallas. Same thing. Same thing. That is awesome. I can't top that. I'm, I'm ending this right here because that's the perfect way to end today's show. No, I'm going to get your picks out yeah, of you. You want my picks out okay, of Okay, so here we have, the, we, we have the New England Patriots, Kansas City. I haven't seen the lines, but if I had to they're guess both, the lines, okay. I, I, I'm just let me go, guess. Go ahead, go ahead. I would guess that New Orleans is going to be – I would say if this game was at a neutral site, New Orleans would be one. And I'll give them three points for the home field. So I'd say it's going to be three and a half. It can be anywhere from two and a half to three and a half. Three and a half on the dot. Okay. And I would say that Kansas City against New England. Now, New England gets a lot of money, but Vegas is pretty smart. Indianapolis was a five-point line. I would say that this line is also going to be between three and four. It's three. Casey's three-point favorite. I like Casey New Orleans. I like New Orleans. I like New Orleans. But I'm not surprised if the Rams win that game. I like New Orleans, but I'm going to take the Patriots. And it's going to be very simple. Until Andy Reid can win the big one, I will take Papelichek over Andy Reid. I know this is different. It's at home. It's in Kansas City. This team may be the best team that Andy Reid's ever had. I understand all of that. It's true. Belichick in the game. and I, This is exactly what they want me to do. But I'm going to do it. I'm going to be the village idiot. Okay? So that's what I'm doing. I'm going to be the village idiot. Most people think that New England and Belichick yeah. were absolute geniuses, and yep, they toy- right. toyed with us all year long, yep. and we're all stupid, and we you know, you know, basically buried them too soon. I think that that was reality, and this was a case of... Baltimore actually beating the living daylights out of the Chargers, but having an inept quarterback for three three weeks, having a team that traveled. I would I would have, you know, you, you, you know, it was really really interesting. Um, the cl- you know one of the classic uh, um, Bill Parcell stories, which was I, I heard Bob Glauber, who recently wrote a book about him coaching tell on on one of his interviews on the air. He said when the Giants played the 49ers. The 49ers already had shipped their NFC championship stuff to Tampa Bay because that was the actually the, site Gulf, of the Super Bowl. But with the site of the Super Bowl, and it was the Gulf War, and there was only one week between the two because of the Gulf War. So Parcells walked into the Giant locker room with two big suitcases and said, "I'm packing for ten days." Okay, okay. and none of us are coming home, and we're going straight to Tampa. And I think the Chargers made a real big mistake by not packing for 10 days, okay, or even for three weeks and coming to the East Coast and going back and forth and stuff. And I think they got tattooed. I think Kansas City is going to win that game easy. I really, really do. We will see on Sunday. I do give Sean Payton credit for bringing in 250000 what, what, And where did he learn that from? Parcells. Parcells. The, the Parcells. Exactly right. The Parcells coaching tree. He's exa- that's exactly right. The Lombardi Trophy on top of twenty five thousand dollars, pretty damn awesome. So would you have hired Zach Taylor? 
would have hired Tax Heller like the Bengals did. Right. No. I would not have hired Zach Taylor. Okay. Personally. Would you hire Brian Flores? No. I would not have hired Brian Flores either. Okay. The one problem with this cycle, Doc, is that there's no candidate that I loved. Not one. Like, I liked, it's interesting. The guy that I actually do like had a terrible year, and that was Matt LaFleur. I think, I think, like, I liked the LaFleur hire for Green Bay. Because he came from the McVay system, but he had a year of coordinator under his belt. Like, I like that. So I like the LaFleur hire. Yeah, that's about it. That's about it. That's about it. Who else are we missing there? Oh, well, I, I thought Bruce Arians was a good hire for Tampa. It was fine. And I think it's like, it is. Like, it, it just, it's crazy. That he's bringing just his entire Arizona coaching staff with him to Tampa Bay, right? Like, his offensive coordinator comes with him. His quarterback coach comes with him. But his defensive know, coordinator comes with him. Here's the story. It's not that dissimilar to what he took over in Arizona. You know, basically, he, he, he had the receiver in Fitzgerald. He had some pass rushers, which Tampa Bay has. They, he, he, in his mind, Jameis Winston is the perfect quarterback. Jameis Winston, you know, they've gone in right. all in. He wants a quarterback that can heave it down the field and... He believes that he can probably get Jameis Winston to make less mistakes. If you take the mistakes away from Jameis Winston, he's, he, he can throw the ball with anybody. Now, I don't necessarily know that Arians can coach it out of him, but Arians has always been good with high-risk quarterbacks. Like, and he doesn't mind his quarterbacks making a mistake. When he coached Andrew Luck, they threw the ball more downfield than any other team in the league. So I think Arians... With where they are, they already have to pay their quarterback a lot of money. We've, you know, Tampa Bay has been everybody's pick for a number of years and just gets worse and worse. Mm -hmm. You know, I think the Arians Todd Bowles combination is was a good play. I, I actually think that that would that I think they did the smartest of any of the teams with open positions. I don't know if it'll work, but I think they did the smartest thing. We will see. We will ultimately see if they did the smartest thing. Track record for Bruce Arians, no doubt. Track record for Adam Gaze, not, not so much. Would you have gone with Mike McCarthy? You no. hate him. hate Mike McCarthy. You know I hate Mike McCarthy. You hate Mike McCarthy. Absolutely right. You're absolutely right. I hated Mike McCarthy. Hated him. So would you have gone with Adam Gates for the Jets? No. Who would you have gone with? I told you. I didn't like anybody. Matt LaFleur. Well, you have to hire somebody. If, you're, if I'm the Jets, who would I have hired? I know a lot of people love Todd Munkin. The rumors were they wanted Matt Rule. Cliff Kingsbury is not necessarily the answer either. I, I know. See, this is, this is the problem. You ask me who to hire, I don't have a good answer for you. And that's why... I, but I wouldn't have hired Adam Gaze yeah. based on Peyton Manning's recommendation. That's ridiculous. Who never even played ridiculous. an hour, hour for the Jets. No effing way. Ridiculous that they did that. There's a rule... You know what I would have liked? Like Matt Everflues would have been good. That would have been cool. There's a rule about dating and picking your coaches. Yeah. Never take advice or go on a blind date with somebody who's closer to the other person. You're absolutely right. Absolutely. That, no those sense. are words for wisdom. And with that, we'll say goodnight. With that, we'll say goodnight. That's a, that's a, look at all those words of wisdom from the doctor tonight. There you go. <laughs> all right, Maryland plays tonight. Go Terps! We'll be watching and we're for Iowa, too. Let's go, Hawks. There you go. Come on, my, I have to send a call out to my Iowa Hawkeyes. I'm probably the only New York Jew from uh, Westchester that roots for the Hawkeyes. I would say so. I would <laughs> say so. For Dr. Mitchell Roslin, I am Greg Sussman. Thanks so much for watching. Check it out, Doc Jack. All of our episodes are on demand on YouTube and, of course, on Audio Boom. Thanks so much for watching. We'll see you next week.